0: Thank you, Dave and Keiko and Richard and Krista. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are the precious Lamb of God who chose to give up his life for us, who chose to submit himself to the suffering of the cross, that we might be forgiven and that we might receive life. Lord, as we approach your word now, may we also have the attitude that Jesus had. One of setting aside our own rights to hear from you and learn from you and learn what it means to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, good morning. Nice to see you on a holiday weekend here. We live in kind of a crazy world, don't we? It's a world that more and more, it seems, since uh, in the last 20, 30 years, people are demanding more and more for themselves, demanding their rights. We went through the me generation of the 70s and 80s, and now we've kind of gotten beyond that almost from, from one of the bumper stickers you saw in those days, question authority. Now maybe an appropriate one would be ignore authority. Pay no attention to it at all. Demand your own rights. You deserve it. So we have lawsuits that just seem wild. That we can demand anything we want. That if somebody, uh, if you spill somebody's coffee on you and get burned, then you can sue them for having the coffee too hot. Uh, it's gotten crazy, hasn't it, in our world. Sense of demandingness. A sense that, that whatever I think I should have is okay to demand from the government, or from those around me. God's way is so different, though, isn't it? His way, as we've been singing about and worshiping Him this morning, is one of not demanding your rights, but setting aside your rights for the sake of ministry, for the sake of others. You see, for us, biblically, submission is a word that should characterize every one of us. It should be a primary characteristic of every believer. Submission. Why is this? Because Jesus was submissive. All through the scriptures, we see how Jesus began by submitting to his mother and father. The same word that's used in our passage today for submission was used of Jesus. It says, When he was traveling with them, he was 12 years old. He chose to follow them and submit to his mother and father. All through his ministry, he was constantly submitting to the heavenly father and doing only what the father showed him to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus on his knees saying, Not my will, but yours be done. Submitting to the will of the father. Then he submitted to the pain of the cross And then ultimately, we're told in 1 Corinthians, all things have now been submitted under his authority, but at the end of times, it says that Jesus will again submit all things back to the Father. You see, submission is a primary characteristic of Jesus, and so it should be of us as well. We should be people who characterize a heart that is yielding to others for their good. That's really what submission is all about. Yielding to others for their sake, rather than demanding our way, rather than pushing our point, rather than demanding our rights. You see, I think this word submission summarizes what could really restore so much in our churches, in our marriages, in our families today, in our society today, if we would truly learn to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Submission has great power for good. First Peter 3 describes how if a wife will submit to her husband, that he can be won over without a word, even when he's disobedient by her submission, her gentle and quiet spirit, her yielding heart. You see, there's great power in it. So... This morning we want to look at what submission really looks like. First, we'll look at three principles that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter five, and then, uh, so if you turn me at with and join with me, Ephesians chapter five, starting in verse eighteen, and then we'll look at several examples of what submission looks like in our relationships with one another. Verse eighteen, David Roper. Touched on this verse last week, it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, all that he says in the next chapter and a half comes under that heading, be filled with the Spirit. So the first principle I want to point out is that submission is the fruit of the Spirit. It can only be done in the power of the Spirit. You see, submission isn't natural for any of us, is it? It's a supernatural act. The natural response is to rebel when someone asks us to do something. The natural response is to demand our own way. Our natural response is to say, I've got my rights. How do you respond when you're told to do something? This week, my wife said, Would you help me put the kids down? Well, I help her put the kids down all the time. That's not a big deal. But somehow I was kind of tired that night and it just seemed entirely unreasonable for her to ask me to do anything. And in my mind, I immediately started making two lists. One was all the things I'd been doing that day and the other list was all the things that she'd been doing and her list came out much shorter than mine. And in my mind, I was kind of highlighting all the things I'd done. (laughs) And I was just about ready to present my list to her because it was so unreasonable for her to ask me to help her at that point because I was tired and had worked hard. And You know, I found all of a sudden I had a choice. I could either submit to the Spirit and in the power of the Spirit choose to serve her and serve my children Or I could simply do what comes naturally. Demand my way, say something cruel and mean, and maybe do it, which he asked, and maybe not. But either way, I wouldn't be submitting, really. You see, we have choices like that every day. Will we submit to the Spirit, or will we demand our own way? And Paul says... To submit really comes out of our relationship with the Spirit. Depending on him, it can only be done truly from the heart in the power of the Spirit. Second principle he gives us is in verse 21. David Roper mentioned last week that the main command in this whole section is be filled with the Spirit. And then all of these are descriptions of that. And verse 21 says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, or be submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, all that follows in the next, as I said, chapter and a half is an explanation of what it looks like to submit. But this is the overriding statement here. Be submissive to one another. The principle I want to bring out here is that submission should characterize all of our relationships. Notice he says, be submissive to one another. He doesn't say be submissive just to your boss or be submissive just to your husband or be submissive only to your parents or those in authority. Now, other places in Scripture, we are told to be submissive to those, the governing authorities. We're told to be submissive to those in leadership over us. We are told those things. Those are all to be characteristic of us. But here he says, be submissive to one another. A submissive, yielding attitude, a servant heart should characterize every relationship. He doesn't even say be submissive just to the Christians. As we go on, you'll see that it's to all those around us. There's no place in a Christian's life, according to this, for a pushy, demanding, I have my rights attitude. No place. We are to be submissive to one another. And see, the idea of submission implies that you are being wronged somehow. We tend to think, well, I'll submit as long as I'm not being wronged. Was Jesus being wronged when he went to the cross? Absolutely. But he submitted. Are we to submit even when we're wronged? Yes, I believe so. Even when we're wronged. Now, love may mean holding others responsible in marriage. It may mean, for their sake, holding them responsible for their sin and all. But ultimately, our attitude must always be, for their good, a yieldedness that does not demand our own way. You see, submission really is a place of strength. We tend to think of submission as, you know, that's for the weak. Only the weak kind of give in and submit. It's much harder to submit than it is to give in to our own flesh that would demand our own way, isn't it? It's much harder to truly submit from the Spirit, by the Spirit. It should characterize all our relationships. Oswald Chambers in My Atmosphere is Highest wrote, Our insistence in proving that we are right is nearly always an indication that there has been some point of disobedience in our lives. Interesting. Well, I see this in, uh, marriage counseling all the time, this struggle to submit in relationships. You know, couples come in and, and each of them has their list intact on all the things that the other person is doing wrong and that they are doing right. And I find that over and over again, the list makes sense. And they have a choice. Either they hold onto their list or they learn to submit to one another in love and yield and serve the other person. Because as long as you're making a list and holding on to it, you will destroy relationship. You will destroy the oneness that God's trying to create. I even had one man come into my office and he said, you need to teach my wife to submit. The Bible says she's supposed to submit, right? Yeah. The Bible also says that you are to submit to her. What? (laughs) He didn't want to hear that. But it's true. So, the last uh, principle I want to point out about submission is again from verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You see, submission to others is ultimately submission to Christ. We need to keep that in mind. It's ultimately submission to Him. And that we need to remember that if we're not submitting to one another in our work, in our families, in our relationships, then we're not submitting to Him ultimately either. You can't not submit to others and submit to Him. So, submission to others is ultimately submission to Christ. Now Paul goes on to f- to focus on three primary Basic relationships and shows how submission is to be lived out in those relationships. First he focuses on marriage, then parenting, parent-child relationship, and then our work. So let's look at marriage. He begins with the wives. I think he does this because he knows the men wouldn't listen to start with. (laughs) So he says, oh, let's begin with the wives and then we'll, uh, then we'll get to the husbands. Verse 22, he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. When we think of submission, we often think of this passage, don't we? Wives that are submit to their husbands. Well, notice what he says about this. He says, He says, Wives, your submission to your husband is to be an expression of your submission to Christ. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, as you submit to the Lord, you will be able to follow your husband. You will be able to submit to him. As the church is subject to Christ, voluntarily we're choosing, I think, to give Christ the leadership in our lives. We're voluntarily coming to him and saying, I want you to be Lord. We heard Laura express that in baptism. I want you to be Lord. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I want to follow you. I'm willingly, voluntarily submitting myself to you. And that's what a wife is to do. Willingly, voluntarily say, I will give you the responsibility for me and for our family. I will follow your leadership. I could demand my rights, but I will choose to lay those aside for the sake of our of our family. How does that look practically? Well, there's so much that could be said, but I think it means a wife will say, here is what I really think about this issue, but I will leave it in your hands to make the final decision. You see, when a wife is demanding and says... We need to do this and I will not submit to you. What happens to a husband? We get rebellious. <laughs> we get angry. And we either withdraw because we're so weak or we, we respond in anger and frustration. And, but when a wife says, I will give you the leadership, I will give you the responsibility. What happens to a man is suddenly we begin to feel the weight of that responsibility. And it forces us, though we may make wrong choices, and in fact we will at times, it forces us to begin to seek the Lord and begin to take responsibility and be the leader that God has called us to be. Wives, you can have a tremendous ministry in your husband's life as you give him the leadership, give him the responsibility. And foster an attitude of what it says in First Peter 3, of a gentle and quiet spirit. Not a demanding spirit, but a gentle and quiet spirit. I've seen this work in numerous relationships. One that comes to mind is my sister. She came to Christ after she was married and uh, began to... Uh, she's a pretty strong lady. Began to push her husband and towards uh, you need to receive Christ. And, and he didn't respond very well. She learned to back off. She learned to say, no, I'm just going to love him. I'm going to learn to submit and follow him and be a light and be an example. And I've seen dramatic changes in him over time as she has chosen to act in that way, in a submissive way, in a yielding, loving kind of way. Notice he ends this section to the wives in saying, wives ought to be submissive to their husbands in everything, that means there's no area that a wife can hold back and say, well, uh, I'll submit in other areas, and I'll submit in this and finances or whatever, but I'm going to hold this area for myself. You see, he says no in everything. I had one lady I was counseling that uh, she had a job that meant that men were often around her and in, in, uh, not very healthy situations, very flirtatious situations. They would flirt with her often. Um, Her husband asked her to quit. She said, no, this is my job. I'm going to keep it. And uh, I'll submit to you in other areas, but I will not give this up. Well, naturally, their relationship grew farther and farther apart. They're divorced now. Not surprising. You see, in marriage, you either yield or you demand your rights. If you demand your rights, it destroys relationship. Next, Paul addresses husbands. He only has three verses to the wives, but a whole lot more to the husbands. Unfortunately, it's too long. We don't have time to look at the husbands. So, <laughs> oh. God's word to the husbands is in verse. begins in verse 25. Husbands, Now remember, as I read this, this is under the heading of submission. Husbands as well are to submit to their wives. This is simply how they are to submit. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. God's word to husbands is the way you are to submit is to love. You are to love your wife. You are to seek her best. That's what's wrapped up in that word love. And uh, a couple of words that I think describe what he's talking about, what kind of love, what our love is to look like, would be the word first word sacrifice. It's a sacrificial love, husbands, that God is calling us to. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, we as men can be so caught up in our work, so caught up in the things that we're involved in, that we kind of forget about our wives. We forget to put them first. We forget to really make them feel loved and cared for. And so Paul says, sacrifice. Let Jesus be your example. Jesus died for us. When? When we were all clean and wonderful and obedient? No. When we were sinners, when we were enemies of His, when we were rebellious, He chose to die for us. And so Paul says, you never have a reason, husbands, to say, well, she's just not doing her part, so I don't have to do mine. No. There's no room for that. God calls you to love your wife even when she has wronged you terribly. God calls you to love your wife, even when she's a nag. <laughs> God calls you to love your wife sacrificially. And it says Jesus did that so that we could become glorious, all that he designed us to be. Husbands, as you submit to your wife by sacrificing for her, she will become more and more Glorious, what God called her to be. What a privilege we have as husbands of setting our wives free to be glorious, beautiful from the inside out, all that God designed them to become. How does that look practically? I know for me, it's it's often when I come home from work and I'm tired, it's been a long day, and everything in me says boy, I want to uh, just relax. I want to watch the news or I want to read or I want to just get away and and not have to deal with people. And yet, I see when I get home that my wife is needy. She needs either adult company or she needs freedom from the kids usually because she's been dealing with them all day. And at that point, I have a choice. Will I sacrifice for her or will I choose to demand my own rights? And I find that when I choose to submit, to serve her, to love her, to seek to meet her needs at that point, that God gives me the strength that I need to make it. You see, that's part of just a practical way that we can sacrifice for our wives, to begin to be aware of their needs. Sacrifice is one word for love that the husbands need to do. The second word I would call, or the second phrase would be tender care. Husbands, were called to give our wives tender care. Notice verse 28 and 29. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Do you know what your wife's needs are, husbands? Do you know what, it, what makes her feel loved and special? Do you know what she longs for from you? If you don't, you ought to ask her. Now, I know that's scary because that feels like pressure that, oh no, I have to come through now. But that's something we need to do is understand our wives and then just move towards her. I know that's scary. It's so much easier to stay where it's comfortable at work where we feel competent. And when we move towards our wives, it's scary because we feel incompetent. We feel inadequate to really meet her needs. And you never can fully meet her needs But you can be an instrument in helping her discover how much God loves her by how you love her and reach out to her. I know one man that the only gift he ever gave his wife was a shotgun. He either totally ignored his wife's needs or just never asked, never knew. You see, it's scary, yes, but we as men have an opportunity to love our wives well. Move towards your wife as an act of submission to the father. Now he goes on to move from the marriage relationship to the parent-child relationship. Six, one through three says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. First he deals with children and he says, Children, Obey your parents. Josh McDowell says this, Adults have always complained about their youth, but this is different. There have always been wild and rebellious kids who would go off the track and do something wrong, but they knew where the track was and what was wrong. Many of today's youth don't seem to know right from wrong. Children are robbing, maiming, and killing on whims and with no pity and no remorse. You see, God calls children to, to obey their parents. And that really expresses the outward obedience. To do what they tell you to do. For those of you who are children here, I encourage you to obey your parents. Why? Notice it says, for this is right. It doesn't say, for they are right. Your parents will be wrong sometimes. But it says, it's right for you to obey them. We live in a moral universe in which we need to learn to submit to God's authority. I insist on my kids obeying my voice. Why? Because I want them to learn to obey me so that they will learn ultimately to obey the voice of the Father. And kids are falling apart today because they've never learned the discipline of obedience. But kids, you can begin to choose to obey, and it will be right, and you'll be in line with the godly, Righteous standard that God has set up and God will bless you, we're told, if you will obey, if you will do what your parents tell you to do. Rod Ritchie, our our senior high pastor, was telling me this week how amazing it is to watch some of the senior hires who have come to Christ and live in non-Christian homes. And they said as they learn to submit rather than be pushy and demand that their parents come to Christ or or say, well, they're not Christian, so I don't have to listen to them anymore, which is tempting. But they submit to their non-Christian parents and honor them and serve them. They've had incredible ministry in their lives. Some of the parents have come to church. Some of the parents have come to Christ. Some of the parents are being drawn to read the Scriptures. And wonderful things happen as we submit. So let me encourage you as children to do that. And it says to do that by obeying. And secondly, verse 2, by honoring your father and mother. This deals with the inner attitude. An attitude of, of honoring, valuing them highly. That's really what, was, what is behind the word here. To value them highly. To show them respect. Now sometimes that's hard. I realize that. But it's what we're called to do. When I first uh, came to Christ as a high school student, I decided my job now was to convince my parents that they needed to come to Christ. So I argued with my dad about Christianity. Well, you know what? It didn't convince him. How surprising. <laughs> Over time, God began to soften my heart and help me to see that I needed to honor Him. I needed to just love Him and let God work in His heart. And I've seen my dad move from a place where he said, don't talk to me about Christianity. I looked at it 20 years ago, and I have no interest in it. To a place where, you know what I've realized? The most important thing about life is having a personal relationship with God. How did it happen? Well, God worked, obviously. But it freed God to work as I learned to yield and submit and honor my parents' I'm still learning to do that. Maybe some of you need to learn to honor your parents, even if they've wronged you. There's ways that you can honor them that God would bless you for it. That it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth, he says. Now he addresses fathers. Wait a minute. Fathers are to submit to their kids? Absolutely. We are to submit to one another. It's interesting to me that he addresses only fathers here and does not address mothers. I think it's because mothers naturally nurture their children. I think it's because in the first century, fathers were the primary teachers. We didn't have public schools way back then. And so the the fathers were the ones who mainly taught their children it's also because fathers have great influence on their children as well. Josh McDowell, in his surveys he's done with kids, looked at all the things that are happening in today's society and how society is degenerating for our teenagers and how they're increasing in the kinds of trouble they're getting into and the drugs and the violence and uh, sexual promiscuity and all those things. And he studied a wide array of of these problems and began to look for what was the common denominator or common denominators as to why children, teenagers, were getting into trouble. He found one common denominator. The common denominator was the lack of love of a father. You see, our kids are hurting in our society today because of the lack of love of the father's. So I think that's why Paul emphasizes it here. Fathers, verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, don't leave the child rearing, the child raising to mom. God's calling you to be intimately involved in it. He says don't provoke your children to anger. How do we do that? There's lots of ways. I think by being unfair when we're, we're partial to one kid over another or we demand rules and we uh, discipline unfairly and we're inconsistent rather than setting the standards and being consistent and loving in the way we discipline our kids. That's one way, being unfair. Another way is just being uncaring. Not involved with our kids' lives. Not loving them. Not... not um, not involved, but instead we're absent. We, again, like in marriage, we tend to get involved with our work because we feel competent there. And I understand, men, we feel incompetent as parents, so it's easier to leave it to our wives to be involved with the kids and raise the kids. But you have a great influence if you will move towards your children, be involved with them and seek to love them, even if you aren't going to do it perfectly, but get involved with them. Care for them. We're terrified, I know, but it's you can do it as you move towards them. Doug and Laura Gamble, a couple in our body, have chosen a lifestyle where they job share. They don't make as much money that way, but they share a teaching job. One teaches in the morning, the other in the afternoon. And Doug does that so that he can spend more time with his children. I think that's wonderful. We can't all do that, but we can make efforts and make choices to spend time with our children for their sake. Another way I think that we can um, provoke them to anger sometimes is by not teaching our children, not giving them the tools to handle life. It's a moral universe out there. They are going to learn things from their peers that are wrong and will lead to destruction. And fathers, we need to model for our kids and teach our kids... What's right and wrong? How to live? What will happen if they make wrong choices? And that's why he uses a word here, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word for instruction is really the word for warning. Warn them. Like the book of Proverbs, the father walks with the child through life and says, see that harlot over there? Let me tell you about her life. See those men lying in wait over there? Waiting to do violence? Let me tell you where that leads. And he walks through life and teaches his son about life. Again, husbands and fathers, this is your opportunity, I think, to have a great impact on your kids. He uses a word, bring them up in the discipline. Bring them up. The word there is nurture. It's the same word that's used for a mom nurturing her kids. We as dads are to be nurturing our children. Be involved in their lives, caring for them, loving them, building wisdom into their lives. I know that a lot of people here, I'm sure, are single moms. Let me say, I realize your job is tough. You don't have a father involved, a dad involved in raising your kids, and that's difficult. But I believe that this stands for you as well. As you nurture your children, seek to teach them the truth, as you seek to have to live out two roles, father and mother, with your kids, that God will honor that as you continue to strive to do that. Let me encourage you. And pray for us as a church that we would learn better to encourage you as single moms and support you in that difficult task of trying to live out those two roles together. Well, Paul ends this section in verses 5 through 9 in dealing with slaves and masters. Now, the application to us, I believe, is our work. You see, we think of slavery as some horrible oppression because that's the way it was in this country. But in this time, when Paul was writing in the Roman Empire, slavery, though there was some oppression, it was really much more like employer-employee relationships Someone would buy a slave that was taken in war or whatever, and he would pay them regular money and begin to train them in certain occupations. And usually, the average was within seven years, the slave could buy his freedom and be involved in in society, become a citizen, uh, get involved in politics, do all kinds of things. Even when they were a slave, they could vote and have the rights of citizenship. So... He's really talking about something that's very akin to our employer-employee relationship. And he tells employees to be obedient. As you serve the Lord, he says, serve your employer. I worked for a government agency for a while. I won't say which one, but, uh, I started working there and I was, I just went in to work hard. And I was insulted and put down because I was working too hard, I was told. You see, I was told that, that we don't do that around here. It's good enough for government work, he said, that I was being told. And uh, it was, it was eye-opening to me. But as Christians, we ought to be people who work hard, whether we're being watched or not. We ought to be people who set a standard above Others Because we are ultimately serving the Lord, not just our jobs. He ends this whole section, verse 9. Masters do the same things to them. Employers are to submit to their employees. Have a yielding attitude. If you're an employer here, God calls you to serve those under you. To seek to build them up. To seek to encourage them in their jobs to make them better people. To have a yielding attitude, not a demanding, threatening attitude, he tells us. You see, in all our spheres of life, all our relationships, God calls us to be submissive. To not demand our way, but to serve. And as we take on that attitude, we will have a dramatic impact on those around us. I encourage you to pray about this and ask, God, how are you How are you speaking to my heart? How do you want me to learn to submit more fully? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for Jesus. As one who demonstrated for us what true submission is all about. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn what it means to submit, to set aside our own demands that we get our way our own demand for our own rights. Help us to let it go because you live inside us and you did the same. And use us, Lord, to reveal your character to others around us as we do. (coughs) In Jesus' name, we pray it. Amen. (coughs)